Hello, and welcome to Label Sessions Presents. Label Sessions is a global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people, whether you want advice, mentoring, or ideas. I'm Ian Montgomery, one of the co-founders of Label Sessions. In this episode, Maxi Mackie of Label Sessions talks to Quintus Kropholler. Quintus is a former elite athlete turned innovator, driven by radical values. Founder of the agency of the same name, he's passionate about building businesses that change the world, combine his athletic mindset and eclectic working background with strategic vision. His journey empowers him to create future-worthy ventures with a lasting positive impact. Maxine talks to him to find out more. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me, Quintus. Um, could you, for me, a good place to start is, could you introduce yourself to the Label Sessions audience, please? Who are you? Where to start? Uh, my, my, my background is in arts and design, uh, industrial design, and I've I think of design more than I can think of really. Um, and, and in doing so, what I came to learn is really that, that I was, what I was really doing was innovation, um, bringing together strategy and execution really together to achieve a very specific impact. Uh, and so my curiosity for business ultimately uh, combined with yeah, my ambition and my drive as a former athlete or a team athlete uh, has made me obsessed with, with solving for, for problems that that really mattered beyond just um, just making money or making something something cool. Um, uh, really, ultimately, with yeah, making or creating, facilitating new new opportunities. And so, in doing so in the past fifteen years, uh, I think I've learned I have quite a unique ability to design for systemic impact, bridging micro and and macro uh, in that sense. Um, and so. That goes from business strategy uh, and and business models to to supply chain, uh, customer experience, brand, uh, and how all these components really like come together and and yeah, support ultimate value creation. Wow, um, so many different things. Like, how would you say that you're known for a particular thing? I'm not sure if there's a thing that you kind of a talk about the most in the outside world right now, but you've done so many different things. What are you What are you known for? Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I have no idea what I'm known for. The, the fun thing of having done so many things at the same time or in so much time as well is that you become known for for, for a great oh, variety right. of things, but I think ultimately, but, or at least right. whatever you do within that specific scope or, or, or pocket, I think ultimately what? what I'm always focused on is creating environmental, social, and economic value in one and the same. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is something I call radical value uh, or worthy innovation um, and I think this is really about embracing the complex nature of, of, of the challenge that we face uh, that requires new ways of business strategy and execution and so I think yeah I think that's that's what what I would be what I would point at to be known for that. And radical value isn't just, um, I guess it's more than, than I guess for you, radical value is also the name of your, your agency that you founded. Can you tell us a bit about it? What's its mission and, and what kind of work do you focus on? I've worked directly with, with global executive as much as people, the people who actually get their hands dirty in, in executing uh, whatever, whatever companies value. Um, and what I can tell is that what got us here is certainly not going to get us there. Um, it's particularly also looking at corporate uh, innovation and corporate consultancy. Um, it's the way it's continuing to be done. Uh, it, I, I started to feel after quite some years, it's just wasting time feeling a dead horse. 
And so... Wait, what makes you say that? I'm quite curious. A lot of corporations, uh, and particularly leadership, they talk about change, yet regardless of their intention, because, you know, who knows, but regardless of their intention, um, they're not organized for it. They're not, they're not set up to actually make change in a way that, that is required. And that, like, large corporations, they, they fear anything radical. Everything needs to be subtle. Yet, what, what we as a, as a global society need, what our, what our planet needs, uh, but also um, what we as, as humans individually need on many levels is, is a very, very radical change and quickly. <laughs> and so with Radical Value Agency, I, I figured to focus on specifically uh, building new businesses and building new businesses radically different. Uh, and so moving away from, um, moving away from the ways and the, the, the typical institutions, um, from Harvard to, um, um, to, to the examples of, of great industrial organizations to even Google, um, how, uh, on, on how to go about business. Yeah. From, from, from thinking about customers uh, and data towards towards vision um, in order to yeah to really make change with radical value agency we, we focus on diligence we focus on accountability at least I think that's the business that I ultimately am in truly uh, which is also why it's called radical value agency because then we become totally measurable by any virtue on on what we deliver because if it's not radical and not valuable yeah, then we, we didn't succeed. And so in that way, we, we, we create a system of, of incentive around us the way we, we envision um, how, uh, how any new business or any business worthy of the future or worthy business uh, should be incentivized and organized um, through real accountability. I know you've done lots of work from like banking to Dutch railways, clean tech, housing, design so many different things and work with architect practices. Is there a thread that you can pull on that's, that there's um correlation between all the different types of work that you do? Because I'm quite curious about what's the radical shift that you see that a lot of companies need to make? Like, how do you help them to do that? Is it really about vision? And then because you've been talking about accountability, like how... How do you do that? And what's the common thread between the, all the different industries and sectors you've worked in? Vision is an incredibly powerful and, and, and crucial element to, to creating anything that is worth um, uh, from um, economic worth to personal emotional worth uh, as much as environmental worth. And so in order to establish that kind of worth, we need to create real value. And so not products or solutions, but something that is meaningful and, and durable. Um, and that's the kind of thing that I've always been focusing on in any of those segments or, or industries, really. And what that takes is, is to take, yeah, really like an, an ecosystemic approach where banking, fintech, and uh, my work, for example, for the Dutch National Railroad is something that ha will always be integrated. And so looking 
what I mentioned earlier, looking at the big picture, the macro and, and zooming into um, what that means, whatever that macro strategy or macro vision means and should look like on a micro level uh, and back again and how that the micro opportunities and values we can create at that level can influence the macro again. That is the kind of thing that I've been mostly doing across all these sectors, across all these industries. There's this constant shifting back and forth between between um, um, the, the, the levels and the domains of value creation. You, we, you mentioned the ecosystem approach. How is that different from, say, a business being and talking about being customer-centric? What does it mean to, be, to have an ecosystemic approach? I think it's most important to understand how customer-centricity, I believe, has been vastly misunderstood. The way I've seen customer-centricity being practiced across businesses um, over the past 15 years of my my working life has been singular, as in it, it's been taken very literal, as in let's put the, the customer at the center and that is all that matters. And so that is something that kind of you're quite easily inclined to then just start listening to whatever a customer says they think and, and, and then what building they think for that. they want. So really being quite yeah. reactive, saying that's what they want, we're going to build that, that's what we're going to be about. But what happens when a customer changes their mind? Exactly. And so this the thing is that a customer, a customer, yeah, only knows what they know. Uh, and this is, a, this is a major psychological concept. A lot of these organizations tend to forget because the biggest value that you can create for, for a customer, first of all, is a, is a continuous unknown. And that unknown, of course, is, is a very, very challenging, very challenging front. And so um, what is even more challenging is uh, all the many facets that play into and are, are at least originally from like a design point of view, um, where that customer centricity used to come from, um, is a lot more complex because uh, a customer is not a human being or a thing. Those are two different things. So yeah, a human can be a customer and a customer is a human. Um, um, but also, there's also a, a user involved as much as how uh, that user is dependent of the customer, that customer being dependent on it being a human or a dog, a completely different living entity in that sense, uh, that are all subjected to uh, for example, an environmental condition. And so there is, in order to serve a customer, meaning creating economic worth through a transaction, which is what the customer is defined by, you're also needing to provide for that human and that, um, and that environment they're dependent on in order to yeah, really extend and create the value for that customer long-term. Um, and so... This is the kind of thing, um, uh, the kind of ecosystemic thinking about that is required in order to actually serve the purpose that people have defined as customer centricity. And so I, I, I kind of, I, I prefer not to talk about customer centricity because it is so sensitive to be misunderstood, which is why I prefer uh, to, to talk more about ecosystemic value creation because there, there is not really a center in an ecosystem. Uh, yet you need any and all ecosystem to um, to support each other in order to continue and ultimately provide regenerative value creation for 
everything and all involved in there, including a customer. So what are some qualities that future-worthy businesses should have? How do you ensure that in the conversations you're having and the businesses you work with are future-worthy? Think about a regenerative approach. In business in general, we tend to focus a lot on intentions. Yet intentions, I think they only matter as much uh, as the actual impact that you make. And this is a simple matter of correlation. I think future-worthy businesses should be focused on, on, on specifically correlations and what do we say, what do we, what's our ambition um, to um, how are we going to actually make that true and do we make that true? So as a, as a, as a team athlete, we naturally had the intention to become European champion, world champion. And what's so exciting about that, that experience is that we only became successful in our shared mission when we operated with a real accountability, because that accountability is really the, the, the platform for achieving correlation. And I think that changing our economy and changing our markets for better requires no less. And so this is something that I'd say a future worthy business is, needs, to, needs to build, build on in order to, uh, to, to create any more. And I think followed by that shortly is uh, being intelligent and intentional and diligent with what you do rather than pursuing speed. We really need to move away from the notion of go fast and break things. I think it's quite stupid. And I think it's always been stupid. Go on, tell I me think more. We, uh, it makes no sense. Uh, it, it makes no sense in terms of like your, your invested time, your invested um, uh, finance, your capital. Uh, if you go fast and, and break things, uh, as cool as it sounds and as fun as it may be, you're missing, you're missing out on a lot of actual relevant understanding and information in order to learn adequately uh, and become really informed. I think that we've been far too much obsessed with data and basing decisions on data. Data is not necessarily going to transform us into the future. Um, data is, is about the past at best. And so this is where yeah, we need vision to lead, values to support, and, and data to inform. But not necessarily decide. No, absolutely not. What I get a sense when you're, when you're, kind of a, um, when you're talking about these things is actually it's not about quantity, it's about quality of endeavor. And by doing that, I think just looping back to what you were saying before around inspiration and vision is one thing, it's a needed foundation, but actually it's the quiet diligence to, to translate that into an outcome, into a thing, rather than just talking about a thing, you need to do it. And you need to do that in this kind of a, a detailed look at how you are running a business today, as well as the business that you want to be in the future. For some, it becomes too easy to just start doing without thinking about the the implications and, and what it is that you really want to achieve. And so what it is that you're doing, um, what step in the total process uh, is that going to be? And, and, and thus, what's the value of each step that should inform and and uh, help you decide on on what, what the best thing is to do? Let me ask you something. So... I'm thinking about your background as a kind of a, a, as a product designer. When you're deciding what to do, I'm curious at your perspective around bringing in experts into a conversation, because I suspect that from your experience in product, the product design world, that as a designer, you would probably bring in experts in different materials to help you understand what's possible. 
Could you talk me through your experience as a product designer and how you would work in teams with experts? Because I suspect there's a correlation between what you're doing now. The way I, for example, I've set up um, Radical Value Agency is exactly in the way as I've I've worked as a as a as a designer in the broadest sense, from product to architecture to um, to businesses and services. And w- what is so incredibly important is is to have constant diversity of um, perspective that enable for perspective changes um, uh, to to create new valuable insights. And so um, in doing so, particularly now with, with Radical Value Agency, is uh, the way we work is based on incorporating um, environmental sciences, social and humanitarian scientists, uh, together with uh, UX and, and, and customer experience, CX designers and strategists, in order to make sure that that you kind of you're always informed um, based on expertise through with being able to access the right depth. That doesn't mean that you know um, you uh, you you should go continuously into depth and going through one scientific research through another, but have access to a team uh, of of people and and resources that that provide you with uh, adequate insight in order to make yeah, educated decisions, create new perspectives. That's the one way to really uh, innovate, um, uh, innovate uh, with, um, for, for worthy outcomes. It was framed to me by an economist who's actually, his, his context was talking about data, but he was very much talking about having a bird's eye view and a worm's eye view. And, and moving between the two in order to make sense of things because how you interrogate data will give you different answers each time so you have to really go up and down and I think it's the same with so many different kind of innovation practices. Absolutely. It's interesting what you're saying because data is inherently biased. In and of itself, besides the way we look at data, which is, of course, comes with our own biases. And are those biases from how we interrogate it? Is that because answers you get from data is based on the exact question you ask, which will have many blind spots, assuming. Yeah, absolutely. And so the exciting thing is that when you when you design for value rather than uh, a specific function or you know satisfying an, an immediate desire of a customer, when you design for value, you open up the spectrum of, uh, of, of, of data that you generate from it that you could not have anticipated. So when you play into a more um, uh, latent desire uh, and exceed an expectation, uh, an existing and already existing expectation, you, you open up a completely new, um, a new perspective for viewing data. Um, and this is something that, um, yeah, is, is so incredibly valuable in order to enable yourself to continue to innovate. Uh, because this is what I see with a lot of companies is that they've had an innovation, uh, but then kept on just providing, providing immediate solutions, reacting, like you said earlier, um, that just kind of like pushes them towards a ceiling instead of creating a whole new space above that ceiling with a new, a truly new, valuable innovation. Um, 
And so these perspectives on, uh, on, on data is something that in, uh, in science is called uh, proxy. And so by creating a proxy, uh, which can be in a form of a prototype or should be in a form of a prototype, you create something, you create an entity with which you can compare against existing data and see what is part of your presumption and what is something that falls out of, outside of that and can be viewed in a different way. And this is also, the, the, I mean, it's a, it's a very typical design approach in, in essence, um, but scientists really, really understand the value of that analytically, which is why it's so incredibly important to also integrate them, integrate sciences in, in business strategy up until um, any product or service design that we, that we produce from a business. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice for the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentorship, or sometimes to just collaborate on ideas. To find out more, visit labelsessions.com and book in for a demo with our team. I'm curious uh, the differences you see in the cultures and environments you've been working in, because I, I know that when you met some of our team, you were based in Canada, and now you're in, I think you mix your time between the, split your time between the Netherlands and Portugal, maybe. How are you finding this kind of a, the, the, the different spaces you inhabit? Yeah, it's, it's wildly fascinating. I mean, it's, it's been awesome to have been living and working in so many places from, from Canada to the United States, uh, Italy, France, Portugal, Netherlands, the UK, Germany. Uh, I worked in, in, in many more. And what's, what's exciting is, yeah, is how being immersed in such seemingly similar societies, um, you really become quite quickly become confronted with all the nuanced or sometimes much less subtle differences in, in, in the way we, we go about the exact same thing as we, as anyone would do anywhere. Um, and this is, this is wildly fascinating, but also incredibly inspiring. It's, it's again, it plays into that, what I mentioned earlier, like this perspective shift, um, this, this constant change of, of perspective on one and the same thing enables you to like really start to see, um, yeah, start to see opportunities and start to understand um, what makes us all the same in many ways. What's been really interesting um, is particularly my work for um, an NGO um, which is focusing on solving for global um, homelessness. And what, what they've been doing and what I've been helping them with mostly the strategy on is um, is getting the right kind of people together that all have a perspective on uh, homelessness around the world. So people from uh, Asia and from North America and from Europe in their respective expertise and, and, and specialism, um, as well as their, um, their culture, their country, and thus their, uh, their, their system of governance. And what's so fascinating um, what's so fascinating in that experience 
is to see very tangibly materialize the differences that over the past 15 years I've been experiencing living in different countries. And that is that how, for example, in North America, um, Canada, as much as the United States, very similarly look at homelessness, uh, the problem as, um, um, as a housing problem, as in a real estate problem. Where and and that that way of looking at the problem informs or guides you towards the way you approach or look at solving for a problem, um, and so in that in that environment the conversation is a lot about how do we make more, um, whereas for example in the south of Europe, homelessness is something quite very much of a taboo, uh, which is um, perceived through. Uh, Quite a quite an amount of shame, and so homelessness is kind of like, you know, seen as a problem in the shadows and that requires to be solved in the shadows. Whereas, for example, in north uh, the north of Europe, um, it's seen as a healthcare problem, um, and so um, it is also approached. At least the solution to it is approached from a very human and and, and caring approach, which um, shows very interestingly um, in, in the results of homelessness, where, for example, here in the Netherlands, as much as in, uh, from what I know, in, in Denmark and Sweden, homelessness is, is actually very low. Um, and people who are homeless are still functioning in, in the broadest sense of society in most cases. Um, and so these kinds of, yeah, these nuanced differences in our, our, our culture um, across countries and, and regions that, that are seemingly so similar uh, are really fascinating and particularly really relevant and important, I think, to understand in order to act on adequately and anticipate in order to work with effectively. And I think that's a great example of the ecosystemic approach to looking at a thing across multiple geographies, how it's categorized, how it's solved for, and thinking about what you can learn and take from each of them to really think about how do you solve it in the now for people who are experiencing that right now. That sounds an exciting um, and really meaningful project. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's, um, I, 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 have, I have a lived experience of homelessness myself. Uh, and luckily here in the Netherlands, which was, uh, yeah, with um, the experience uh, of moving, moving across many countries, I've, I feel very fortunate with that because, um, yeah, I, I know, I know how hard it can be. Um, yet at the same time, it's been absolutely amazing to, um, to, to have been able to uh, function a system that is that is so caring uh, as the one here in the Netherlands has been um, that really yeah gave me a very valuable insight into what really matters as well and and what it takes in order yeah to to make it out and so it's awesome to work for an organization like this with so many people who have such lived experiences as much as experts and, and specialists from um, legislation to legal and so forth. 
So it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's amazing. Well, I hope you keep us kind of up to date on it and, and, and how the project and program progresses. Um, we'd love to know what's on the horizon for you too and what you're kind of a most excited about for the, I guess, the rest of the year and beyond. Yeah, gosh, what I'm, what I'm truly excited about currently is working with a few companies that, um, that are really open and, and excited, inspired to, to really change the way of doing business and starting from scratch. Uh, what's so cool about it is that, yeah, we we get to really redesign the way we the way we think and act on creating value, um, on also on so many different fronts, from from fair chain uh, agriculture to uh, um, to uh, real estate development uh, and. And, and how tech plays into these things, not necessarily as a as a driver, but as a facilitator. And so, that's something that I'm that I'm really, really, really excited about. And honestly, very, very fortunate to be able to work in this and and make make a real make a real significant difference. Uh, so that's that's mostly for the the coming year that I'm uh, that I'm truly excited about. Let me shift the pace slightly and ask you a few um, questions. Really, I'm, I'm being nosy and I want to lift the lid on your kind of big creative brain. So how do you stay updated on trends and innovations in the business world? So you're a designer, but how do you, where do you go to kind of stay um, up to date if you choose to do so? Obviously, trends to me are, I, I'm not I'm also interested in trends. Um, I mean, obviously, you, you follow, you get, you get word from trends from all over the place. What I'm much more interested in and what I'm much more deliberately looking at is is what the the, the implications or the impacts of certain trends are in daily life for, for what kind of people, what kind of demographics and so forth. And so uh, I'm I'm looking, I'm trying to look through the trees rather than at the tree. Because a trend, yeah, I mean, the word of itself says it already. It's it's finite. It's temporary, and I'm looking for value, not for for um, uh, or opportunity that certain values can provide. Where do you go to feed your creative brain? I don't. I, I don't think creativity needs to be fed. Um, I think creativity needs freedom in order to adequately manage uh, manage its impact, manage its function. And what do you think is overhyped right now? Is there anything industry interesting to you that's not being picked up by the mainstream or anything that's just very overhyped? Oof. It could be fail fast. We've covered um, that. Well, design thinking is, is certainly overhyped. Why, why do you say that? Cause I've got an opinion on this too. Yeah. I think design thinking is, is a total bastardization of, of the, the true value and worth of of a, of a discipline of creating value. Uh, it's to, to, to dumb something down and simplify something so uh, intricate and complex um, to a few steps, phases, uh, and methods and processes um, is the exact opposite of, of what it, of the true value of its nature. Um, and so, it, it, you know, design thinking becomes a success once you've finished your steps, um, which has nothing to do with, with creating value. It's, that's just, um, yeah, that's just managing people's time and expectation rather than innovating, rather than creating. 
it's it's limiting people's ability and people's um, um, uh, people's potence. That's interesting. What's your opinion? Uh, well, one of them is it's not very multifaceted. It's just one facet because it's designed for it's a design approach or my understanding at least for software systems as a result it's process-led so these are the steps someone's take where are the pain points and where are the opportunities to solve the pain points and for me my background has always been first of a kind product innovation and experiences it i always struggled because there was no inspiration there was no art of the possible it was always about i find design thinking to be the these are the process steps from today these are the bits that are pain points. So solve them and then you have a new experience. But I think it bypasses all the art of the possible and what you can do and to be inspired by other things. And for me, I'm not a designer, but when I think about producing ventures, everything has to be multifaceted. And so for me, design thinking, it's nice that design is talked about. I personally don't think everybody is a designer and I don't find language like that really helpful. Um, yeah, and I just think it's really about the future possibility, not incremental change. So that's my view. Absolutely. I, I just, I mean, first of all, I, I despise the term design because it's, it's, it's very, it's very difficult to really assign meaning to something that is so vastly and widely used and, and abused in so many ways. And so I prefer to, I prefer to change the narrative of it much more rather. And, and talk about what the, the result or the impact should be or is ought to be because, yeah, then you can just talk a lot more substance. And this is something that I, I call radical value creation um, because when you talk about something like radical value creation, then um, at any point in time creating new value, you can measure that by, hey, is this truly radical? Uh, or is this on the way to become radical? And in step, in, instead of going through steps, like you say, um, I think that 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 approach of design um, is much more about dimensions or dimensional approach um, than uh, first we're going to be creative and then we're going to execute. You ought to be creative in everything that you constantly do in creating um something new um, because otherwise you're just going to stop learning uh, and the whole point is that you want to learn through your process um, learning by doing and this is why I think and pardon my French but this is why I think design thinking books are the dumbest thing in the world and you're literally reading a book about learning by doing by reading about it it makes no sense it's, it's a paradox and so Looking critically at, at this kind of th these kinds of things um, enables you uh, enables you to, to think for yourself and see for yourself, learn for yourself, and that is what design is. Not being told how to do something in a book. We talked about radical value agency and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve. What advice would you give to other startup founders? Because I think that you're trying to do things quite differently. So I suspect that you need really um, the people that you want to collaborate well with and the clients that you probably work best with are very forward thinking. Um, so that's my assumption. But 
talk to me about the advice that you would give to other startup founders. I think the people that I work with, um, that we choose to work with, um, are first of all, people that are ambitious and, and that's it. And I think the advice that I have is don't go fast and break things. Diligence, diligence, focus, focus on your speciality. What are you good at? And, and let the people who are good at the other things that you need, let those be done by those people. Um, excel at what you do. Don't try to do it all. Tell me you procrastinate sometimes and you're not always diligent all of the time. Oh God. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, it's, it's kind of embarrassing actually, but I, uh, I, oh no, it's, it's not that bad. It's, I, uh, I look at, I look at motorsports. It's, um, as in like I follow motorsport news. Why? Because it's, it's in motorsports, you find a real high performance meeting strategy and technology, and it becomes so utterly clear and measurable what and where the value of what investment, um, uh, what that results into. You've made the procrastination thing a serious thing because that's how oh. diligent you are. I was expecting a I guess so. I doodle. I like to color in. It could have been anything, but it was a diligent thing, which I think says a lot about you. Yeah, I guess it does. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, in it. <laughs> no, it's like it, it. There's there's a component of it is just like I'm I'm like I said earlier. I'm I'm obsessed with 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 changing things for better and that's what sports is very much about at least that kind of high performance sports and particularly in the, the the inclusion of technology and strategy is just phenomenal and it's at the same time you know you have like the bright colors and the whatnot so it's also very it's also very stimulating in in a way that in a way that you need in order to like yeah effectively procrastinate <laughs> so yeah. what title would you give your biopic or autobiography oh god um I think some some cool Gen Z words. I don't know. I'm. <laughs> I need to go through a list of Gen Z words to figure that one out. But something like that. Yeah. No. I don't know why uh, they 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 sound cool. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna have to ask this. On a scale of one to ten, how weird are you, Quintus? I think I'm super normal. Super normal. And I just see things differently. And would you give that a number? Uh, I'd say two. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Last thing. I'm curious now. What was your field hockey position that you played in most? I was a goalkeeper. Where are you? I um yeah, it was it was quite a quite a fascinating position to be in. I know you can see yeah. everything. It's you a, you see the ecosystem in yeah. front of you. Well, literally. Yeah, yeah. and no, coming at you. You're at the, yeah, you're 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 at the you have a, um, an incredibly defensive and important position in that sense. At the same time, you're at the at the foundation of any offense, and and you have a constant. Yeah, you're constantly involved in in setting up, setting up uh, offensive strategy and defensive strategy, and switching in between based on you know uh, ten people in front of you with specific tactical uh, tactical ability uh, and and so forth. And so it's been super 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 cool to have that kind of experience. I, I can I still I still notice still notice a lot of my experience as, as an athlete. Uh, how uh, how I leverage that sometimes unconsciously in, uh, in into how I work. Okay. Wonderful. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. This is wonderful. So that concludes Label Sessions Presents. 
be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast, no matter your platform. And of course, start your journey with us today at labelsessions.com.